all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Many of you may have a preconceived notion about the Montessori school method. Um, You may think that they're too free or don't teach discipline. You may think that the method is the way to teach. Today we'll talk about raising a child to be inquisitive, respectful, and to love learning and to be well-adjusted. Could it be the Montessori method? Today we'll talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about the Montessori method of teaching. Now, many of you may have a preconceived notion about what Montessori schools are. Maybe you don't even know what they're about, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But you may think that if you know that they're too free or perhaps they don't teach discipline. That's not so. And I want to talk a little about the method. You may think that the method is the way to teach. But instead of just talking about the Montessori schools and the teaching method of Montessori schools, I want to talk about how we raise children. And how we raise children in the U.S., not just in Mississippi or the South, but how we do it across the nation and whether or not we are approaching teaching children appropriately from the very beginning. Now, yes, they're Montessori schools, and I'm happy to talk about those, um, but but I want to talk about it in a bigger picture, a bigger perspective. And the reason I want to talk about it is because there is a book that has been written uh, by Simone Davies, an author um, who lives in Amsterdam, about um, the Montessori child. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later in the show as we move along about uh, some of the writings in that book, but in others, too. So I want you to join in. You don't have to have a child. We're around children all the time, and you've heard from me over and over again in this show that it really does take a village. We all need to be participants in how how 
our world raises children. Um, And by that, I mean, if you're an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor, a teacher, uh, you need to you have the right to have an opinion, number one, and you really need to be a participant. So many times I I hear people say, well, I don't have children, so I probably shouldn't have an opinion. And and I wholeheartedly disagree. You are a child. You have to be around children at some time, so you really should have an opinion about the way our citizens are raised. So call us, join in whenever you get ready at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email to family at MPB online dot org. Um, So let me just, for those of you who maybe don't even know, you've heard the word Montessori, but not really sure um, about what exactly it it is. So Montessori education was founded way back in 1907 by uh, Dr. Maria Montessori. Uh, She was the first woman in uh, Italy to become a physician which is, I think, very, very interesting. In 1907, Maria Montessori was the first woman to become a physician. You know, we had them a lot sooner than that, I believe. So she really was interested in uh, the observation of children. And she did a lot of observation about the way children teach themselves and the way children learn. And so Dr. Montessori designed sort of a prepared environment in which children could choose from a number of activities that were developmentally appropriate for them to participate in. And they would be essentially learning centers. And so what she found that if children were really interested in an activity, then many times they'd pay better attention to it. They would really try to figure out them figure out things on their own. So this was uh, sort of a guided slash free education method. So um, it, now you know. Over a century later, uh, Maria Montessori's uh, method has continued. Her first school was called the Casa dei Bambini, uh, the children's house in Rome. And um, now Montessori is really all over the world. And so it's not something that was a fly-by-night, go-away thing. So it's something that there, there, there are a lot of schools, actually, Montessori schools um, in Mississippi. When I went online looking up exactly how many there are, there are several. Now, um, obviously, I haven't visited them. I don't know if they use the exact Montessori method. But as we move along, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let me talk a little more about what the difference is between Montessori and traditional education. Um, Montessori emphasizes learning through all five senses, not through listening, watching, or reading, but 
hearing, smelling, tasting, um, seeing. Um, so all of those senses are supposed to be used. Now, I do not want anybody who's listening to this to think that the traditional classroom often doesn't use this. And each classroom, it depends so much, so much rides on how a teacher teaches um, in an individual classroom. So there may be some schools out there that are looked at as traditional classrooms, but really employ a lot of Montessori method. They just don't call it that. So... um, The way children in Montessori classes sort of learn on their own, so they go at their own pace, they're allowed to go at their own pace, and according to their choice of activities. And so there's supposed to be lots and lots of activities out there. They're not required to sit and listen to a lecture. Um, They're not required to sit and be talked to as a group. But they're engaged in individual or it can be group activities where they um, learn on their own. Um, Older kids are encouraged to teach younger kids. And typically in a typical Montessori school, children are grouped by ages, but but more extensively, like they'll group three to six year old and then six to 12 year olds. So it's not that um, you only have five-and-a-half and, and six-year-olds in a room together with the idea that some of the older children may impart their learned knowledge to the younger children. So it's, it, it sounds like sort of the old days of, of classroom in some ways, um, back when children were all grouped together and, and they learned sort of from each other. So um, in children above the age of six um, in a Montessori classroom, they, the kids learn to do independent research. Uh, they go on field trips to gather information. They might even be allowed to interview specialists. Um, they might set up their own productions. So it, it sounds great and wonderful, um, my question to our listeners is, do you think this might work for all kids? Do you think that this is a method for young children and not for older children? Or do you think that perhaps um, it's something that would be good for all kids? Um, my question and wonder is if you have a child who has difficulty with transitions, might there be some issues there? So I would love to hear from some of you who either participated as a teacher or a parent or a child in a Montessori school and what kind of experience you had. Was it a good one? Did you feel like there were some learning caps? Did you feel like that because you were allowed or the child was allowed to be more or less self-directed, did it cause any problems as far as um, if a child just wasn't interested in any kind of math project that, that they didn't learn math or if they were so interested in building an architectural or nature issues that they never got the the good basis that they needed um, for, for example, um, grammar. 
Now, I don't want anybody to think that Montessori doesn't look at progress and goals. Uh, It doesn't. But it's more in a fluid, loose method. So do you think that that works? One of the most important discoveries that Dr. Montessori made in the, the field of child development education, I think most people truly believe this, is that She tried to teach people to foster the best in each child. She discovered that in an environment where children are allowed to choose their work and to concentrate for as long as they needed on that task, that one child might finish it in 10 minutes, whereas another might need an hour. And she found that as long as you allowed them to have their concentration period, maybe to even just think about it and contemplate on it or pull it apart, um, that children learn better that way, that hands-on method. And And I'll tell you that what we have found in the now very recent past in research, that squirm to learn method, that when children are allowed to move around, they do better. They learn better. Most kids need that movement, especially younger kids. So um, tried to lay a bit, little bit of groundwork for you. Think about it. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how you can move this from the classroom into the home. I want you to join in with us. Call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can see, send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We're talking about Montessori kids. We'll be right back. MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about Dr. Maria Montessori and um, her views on how we should be educating children and thus the Montessori method that was created back in 1907. So fast forward now, over 100 years later, and where are we and what are we doing and is that method right? So we've talked a little bit about what happens in the classroom and the education piece. And if you missed it, I want you to go back and listen to it on podcast later on because it's a very interesting method. Um, but as we're moving forward, my question to you was, have you had experience? Have you been out there and understood the Montessori method? And if so, what did you think about it? I want you to give us a call. We're going to get to our first caller. We have Keith 
uh, from, Sa- from San Diego um, in a moment. Uh, but I want you to give us a call in at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. All right, let's go on to our first caller. We have Keith from San Diego. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad you're calling us from San Diego. Now, you've written a book about your work. Talk to us a little bit. Well, I was a, uh, I was U.S. national teacher in 2003 through the Milken organization, and I'm, I, uh, I'm working on a book right now. I've already completed going to the 15 highest performing PISA educational K through 12 countries. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I, I've done the visits. And uh, I spent a week to week and a half visited about ten schools in each country from wow. eight through twelve. Yeah. So I'm 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 going to write a book and then I'll be going out and talking about this. Uh, that happened in about a year and a half. But yeah, I just wanted to mention. I mean, some of the the school systems, particularly in Europe, are much are are much more flexible, and, and you see this a lot in places like, uh, particularly. Uh, New Zealand, of all places, right. is, is very much like what you're describing. And uh, Finland uses a lot of this, too. But, you know, my, my comment was that still, as a teacher in San Diego, at middle school, you, if there are a lot of kids where this will not work for, and they will just screw around. Um, they will just do nothing. So there has to be, I think, the best approach is – you know, where you have some activities that use this type of structure, but there still needs to be some type of group uh, teaching as well. Right. You know, interesting, Keith, um, I did a presentation yesterday on early child development to a group of child care um, workers, child care teachers. And um, when we were, we talked just a little bit about the Montessori method and um, one of the teachers raised her hand and she said, but it's really not for everybody. And uh, she's saying, she was saying exactly what you said. There's some children who who just are not self-directed in a classroom. Now, my question is, Do you think, Keith, that that's because um, they came from a home where things were either very directed or very disorganized, where there wasn't the ability for the child to to be able to learn to learn in the manner that Montessori um, method encourages? Or do you think that it's just innate? You just beat me to the word I was going to use. I think human beings in general need structure i think they require some structure and i think kids need structure and i think uh you know one of the things that that uh you know as as i i've read so much about different type of systems and you know everybody's got their own opinion but at the end of the day you can't have kids just roaming around and doing nothing for example i I visited this school in belgium and i don't know if it was montessori or the waldorf or something of that nature Mm -hmm. but I, i i I saw a lot of the kids, and, and I asked the teachers. It was a whole school, a whole elementary school, and, and exactly what you said, group grades three, four, five, grades one, two, three, something like that. Right. But, but at the end of the day, they said, well, you know what? If a kid doesn't want to do anything, they can just walk right out into these kind of patios they have that are, that are somewhat confined. You know, there was a fence there, so the kids can't go out in the street. But they can basically go out the front door if they want, and they can kind of do and roam and free depending on their attitude. And I don't know. 
I, I guess maybe I'm a little bit old fashioned, but again, <laughs> when I go back and I'm looking what the best in the world are doing, when I, the best in Estonia and, and, and uh, not the Asian Confucius countries like China and Japan and that sort of thing, where it's very structured, right, right, right. very much road driven. I, 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 I sense that the best are doing a, a blend of, of both, right? Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much where I have come as I've tried to study this and figure out what sounds like the best. As a developmental behavioral pediatrician, obviously, I've, I've seen children all over the state and all over the South who have... Um, been in numerous different education experiences, some better than others. But it does seem like we need the ability for more hands-on, interactive, maybe even a little bit slower learning. But at the same time, I'm with you. And as a as a parent who now has grown children and grandchildren, I certainly wouldn't want my child deciding, nope, not doing it, um, and walking out to the play yard to contemplate the bugs on the grass, that might be good for a little while, but if that happens on a regular basis, we know they're not going to come out with what the, the skill set that they need for life, yeah. right? I, I I agree with what you're saying. I I particularly work, I work in a school with about 97% Latinos, and I can tell you that a lot of these kids have had no structures in their life, no structure in their life, mm-hmm. and so they don't, they're not used to any type of kind of and I'm talking in general, but just working, um, work, just working much, right? Right, and, right. And, and receiving structure and having to do things. And so I think that's not a bad thing that, because in, let's face it, in life, um, reg- whether we agree or we don't agree, when you go to work for somebody, in a lot of cases, you can't just roam around. There is a <laughs> lot of structure uh, when when you go into work, right? You you have to show up on time. You have to follow policies and procedures and learn different things. And so, life is not just about roaming around in freedom. So I again, I think uh, free. I, I think a blend. You know, the best schools I've seen, they weren't the highest ranked in on that PISA test program for international student assessment. They were very very good. But the out of the fifteen that I visited, the fifteen best educational systems in the world. Uh, although it, uh, Finland wasn't rated the best, in my opinion, they had the absolute best system. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they used much of what we're talking about, the blend. Um, and, and they didn't focus too much on, on technology like we do yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. Well, Keith, uh, I am so excited about hearing from you because I think one problem that we have in the U.S. is that uh, there are fabulous schools out there in some areas, and and there are schools that are struggling and they continue to do the same thing that doesn't work with kids forever, you know, wrapping the knuckles, telling them to sit down and be quiet, um, and discouraging interactive learning. And so um, if you don't mind, I would love for you to stay on the phone and talk with us a little bit more about some of your findings as you are moving along. I'd like to know, so when do you think your book will be out? Uh, I plan to do a TED Talk in Arizona, Arizona State in Uh, in March. uh And then I'm planning then the following year I'll go out and I'm planning to do uh, about 
more than 100 TV interviews uh, in across the country. I went to China and India, and uh, if you when I, I did about I did more than about 46 TV interviews in six weeks uh, in in 2012 during my summer vacation, and, and I had no book and I didn't even know what I was talking about. So, you know, I, I figured, hey, you know what? Since I've actually done this, and I, I'll clearly be the first person in the world that's done this, I, I think there's something to be said. If I can just say one thing, I think clearly in the U.S., and, I, and this might lead to what you're talking about in terms of a little bit on Montessori since we're talking about systems, but our greatest problem here in the U.S. overall, the greatest problem in education, and we have many because it's, 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 it's a great failure in many ways. Our greatest problem is we don't study what the best are doing in the world. Right. And and our policymakers, our administrators, uh, most of them don't know what's going on. They haven't visited other high performing countries. So, well, uh, yeah, I Keith, I think that's where I was going. I started that down that path and I didn't I didn't finish saying it. But that's exactly what we need to do. And that would be what I would propose. You know, in our state, in Mississippi, we have a lot of problems. Uh, in our education system, probably, um, like I said, one one area of the state might have some of the highest performing schools and are shining stars in the South, and then others that uh, the graduation rate is terrible and children are dropping out right and left, and right. those who graduate many times aren't even good readers. And so we are struggling, but why do we continue to struggle and do the same thing over and over again why don't we it's look really at these because uh, this is because here in america i i've tried to figure this out and i've i've thought not just hundreds of hours probably well over a thousand hours as i've tried to put all this together and and i think that the biggest reason is that here in america we're kind of i think tom friedman said in his book that used to be us a new york times best-selling uh, you know, three-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize. Mm. He said it best. He said, here in the U.S., we're like a brick house. So when the weather comes, we don't really feel it. Like places like Singapore, they're like a straw hut, a thatch hut. When they, when they, when things happen in the world, they really feel it. You know, when things happen in China, so they have to be on it. And I think here we've kind of, uh, we're like a big island, and and. And, and away from uh, kind of what the rest of the world's doing. And, and with that said, I would say that we kind of feel we're the big boys. We're the superstar. And I, and I, mm-hmm. if I can say it, I think we're something like a fighter, like a, like a boxer that used to be great. And now we're not so good anymore. We've partied too much. We've, we haven't been quite up on our systems. We've given a lot of stuff away. And, and uh, you know, to mention – kind of answer what you're saying i think that's one of the best problems if you're going to compete in this world and let me tell you if you look at what the best countries in the world have done to bring themselves up uh like singapore china japan i mean these are countries back singapore was on par with an economy of afghanistan in the mid 60s and now they're the shining jewel and they probably have the number on the piece of that they're ranked number one in the world uh, first in math, reading, and science. So how did they do that? Through education. Yeah. And, and and clearly, you go to Singapore and you ask those people, what did they do? How did they do it? 
And there's a lot of ways they did it. And, I, you know, I don't know how much time you have, but I'll tell you that one of the things they first started with, they went out to the best, the rest of the world, and they looked at their systems. They, they did extensive research. And not only did they do that then when they started, but they continue to do it now, even though they're the first in the world. Yeah. And that's how you get ahead. Absolutely, Keith. Um, you know, it's like the old White Castle method that we read about in in marketing and other things that, you know, if you keep the, the White Castle hamburger place was this very um, great, wonderful hamburger place and very popular and everything. And they kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then McDonald's came in and White Castle said, no, no, we're going to stay the same. And... Now, how many people have heard of White Castle Hamburger? So, um, you're right. Well, Keith, hang with us. I'd love for us to have other callers call in and um, join the conversation about Montessori method, teaching methods. Where where do we start with our kids? Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we've been talking about the Montessori method of education and then others. So what is the right way to educate our children? And in addition to that, I want us to back up and talk about who's responsible for that education and where do we start. Um, We all know, you've heard from me many times, that children are learning in utero when they're inside the womb so we need to make sure that we're working with our children in a method in a way that they learn with a hands-on without somebody lecturing to them but more in an interactive participatory way so that's what we're talking about today. We have Keith from San Diego who's been talking with us. But let's go now. We have Alex in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hi, Alex. Thanks for calling. Hi. How are you? Great. Talk to us a little bit about you went to Montessori. You had two children that went to Montessori school, right? Correct. Correct. I have three children, but my two younger children went to Montessori school. Uh-huh. So second grade and fifth grade, uh, mainstream them in the traditional private school and at that point in Louisiana. And so tell us what your experience was. What did you find? Well, you know, I think um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it was great. Kids enjoyed it. I think um, I, I think uh, the other little caller from San Diego was talking about the lack of structure in the Montessori. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of schools use the word Montessori and uh, maybe follow some of the techniques and fundamentals that Montessori teaches about. But if they're following strict Montessori teaching, there is quite a bit of structure within the, the way they learn. I mean, they, they uh, let them learn at their own pace and in their own time and choose what they do. But it's definitely structured uh, enough in a way that um, they get the education that they need. So let me ask you, at what age did your children attend the school, and did they go all the way through grade 12? And um, 
And then how did they end up? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, they started in the when, when they diaper potty trained, actually. <laughs> They're about three years old. Yeah. And um, and like I said, they, I took them out at the same time. One was in the second grade. One was in the fifth. And I just thought that in my area, in Louisiana, there's not a higher education for Montessori. Right. That I didn't. I wanted to kind of ease them in at maybe a younger age uh, in the traditional uh, schooling. So um, I think it was great. My son uh, in the second grade, it was very seamless. Uh, by the fifth grade, my daughter, you know, went for Montessori, uh, not having the books and not having a lecture type of education to sit in our school room with books stacked on her desk. And that was a little bit freaky for her the first first few days of uh, fifth grade, but uh, she, she fit right in, and she's now a 4S student at her LSU in her fourth year. Uh, well, so okay. she's doing great. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's a good testimonial for yeah, the... Yeah, I just graduated high school, and we college preparatory high school in Baton Rouge, and he's starting out at LSU and, you know, make great grades. So I think, in my opinion, it's excellent for younger children for mm-hmm. until second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he can be the method of teaching and it really teaches a whole child and also a part that my children uh, went through is an animal husbandry as well mm-hmm. which is a part of Montessori teaching that uh, you know teach kids a little bit about nature and outdoors and animals and right that's, that's important too right right uh, just wanted to throw my two cents in I think uh, again there are a lot of people putting the name on Montessori and not necessarily you know, maybe it doesn't look structured, uh, but if you're a parent of a child that's gone through a properly run Montessori school, there's quite a bit of structure, enough structure where the children, you, know, you can't just roam in and out of doors and run and, you know, go go through the day without learning anything. Right. It's, it's structured enough. Well, right. And and I think that was, that that's obviously what everybody would be concerned about is the lack of structure. So uh, you're saying that there was structure and they weren't uh, allowed to just go roaming outside well, like one of Keith's experiences. Exactly. Just yeah. freedom within that structure. Right, right. They had to, be, they had to study a certain element, a certain uh, discipline, but they got to choose their, you know, way in which they did it, the freedom which they did it in. Yeah. Thanks so much for your call, Alex. I really appreciate it, and I, I think you're pointing out how how um, it depends on the on on the school once again and how it's structured. But if you're really a part of the AIM, the Montessori Association, that you're really supposed to have a particular specific structure. Okay, thanks so much, Alex, for your call. Um, I'm going to take a minute and go to um, a surprise guest. We have our own uh, Java. I've been pulled in. You have. um, uh, Before we get to Susan, hang on in Hernando. I wanted to talk to Java for a minute because, Java, you were a teacher, right? Yeah, I was an educator uh, here in Jackson, Jackson Public School, taught uh, second grade and also uh, fifth grade. Yeah. For a couple of years. And tell us, I just, I think from a teacher, we need to hear a little bit about how you feel like children learn best. And were you, did you feel like if you allowed children to be more interactive, you lost control of the classroom? Or did you feel like that it was easier to engage the kids? Well, it's all, uh, in my uh, personal opinion, it's all, uh, 
I lean toward a little bit toward the Montessori, mm-hmm. even though in my uh, classroom, um, or, you know, in my school, I wasn't teaching uh, in a Montessori school, but also that the kind of the exploration, like kids kind of learn um, by their own curiosities and, and, and in different ways. Um, you know, when we would do different lessons, um, interactive is all was always best. Uh-huh. You know, uh, rote and, and and being in a lecture style, especially for younger kids, wasn't um, wasn't just the best, right. <laughs> the best way. Right, and that's what we keep seeing. Yet we can. That's what we keep seeing in research. Yet we keep trying to line those desks up. I do think classes are changing in some areas. Yeah, sometimes I would um I would um frequently switch up the the I guess the dynamic in my classroom where we would uh put our desk in a circle uh uh-huh. you uh-huh. know and sometimes uh in semicircles just depending on the different type of activities or lessons that we were um going over just to give the give the kids something, you know, different and um like you say those different um experiences so they can not be in that lecture style yeah. which uh, which yeah. really is okay if you're older but you know when the younger kids are um uh which were the ones I taught that we needed to do different things huh. <laughs> right and we can go all into the ADHD pieces as we move along if we have time which I don't think we will but um, yeah the interactive learning I bet the kids were lucky to have you Java well, uh, maybe so <laughs> uh, alright let's go on and see what Susan in Hernando has to say hi Susan up in North Mississippi how are you doing Hi, I'm doing fine. Good morning. I had two comments. The first was um, experience. Uh, I learned phonics uh, from a small public school in Oklahoma. But um, here's the benefit of phonics that most people don't realize. Uh, When I was in college, my roommate was studying microbiology. And she came to me one day and she said she was going to fail the course because she couldn't pronounce the names of the microbes and she couldn't spell them and the professors counted off if you couldn't pronounce them and spell them and I had to give her a crash course in phonics because she hadn't had it in Uh her schooling I don't remember what school she was from Uh so when my daughter was approaching school uh, where we were living we weren't in Mississippi at the time they had this whole language thing going and I explored it and it was basically sight reading and I thought, well, gee, you know, I remembered my roommate in the microbiology, and I said, that could be a real disadvantage to her. So I did uh, I did find a Montessori school because I knew she would learn phonics. And then I had, several years later, I was a classroom aide in a Montessori school. And um, this particular class, she was good. She was a really good Montessori teacher, and this is what people need to look for when they evaluate whether Montessori schools are right for their children. Uh, This woman would, uh, the children had a deliverable uh, twice a week. Uh, They would have to do some research on a topic. But unlike the public schools, everybody could choose the topic. But they had to do research and they had to give a paper after lunch. And if they didn't have their paper done, they had to stay in for playground and finish their paper. And depending on the age of the child, you know, it could be like, two sentences or it could be a whole page and then she but she also watched the class and if kids were group were goofing off 
she would uh, find somebody else and say, uh, you know, come over here and work with this child on this project. I see you're not doing anything. Come and help this child work on this project. So a good Montessori teacher watches the students uh, and and keeps them busy, keeps them focused. And then the other good thing about this Montessori school, which I think is would be good for public schools, is she also had a semester long project like they would study a country like France and studying the country. The children learned how to knit, so they knitted a, a French flag. Oh, and they decorated wow. them always. They, <laughs> now that's a know, task. Each child knitted a part yeah. of the flag. Yeah. And then uh, the, she crocheted them all together. And then they uh, they studied the culture. And they um, one of the teachers, the French teacher who came in, she brought Nutella and a French baguette. And they had Nutella on baguettes. And they studied uh, history and culture. And they learned a song. And it was a long-term deliverable. Right. But the children divided up and they researched what they were interested in. Yeah. So not everybody was knitting the flag, but the kids who were good at, you know, um, at uh, tactile learning, they did the flag. Yeah. And I think those are, are things that could be used in public schools, too. But a good Montessori school uh, is not just letting the kids wander around. Yeah, uh, The teacher's job is to keep them keep focused. Keep them focused. Yeah, lots of good points. And I saw Java nodding several times about what you were saying. Java, you have some comments? Well, yeah, just to Susan's point, I think she said a couple times that it was right for her child. And I think that's the big thing when you have conversations about uh, different schools and different learning styles like Montessori versus traditional. And um, I think sometimes even with the private and public, it's just you know what is right for um right for your child because some childs are good you know by themselves and others they need that you know um constant push right. you know from right. from maybe a teacher um uh, standing over the top of them to you know to get the desired result of your child learning mm-hmm. you know the certain skill or or um ideas that's you know that's being taught yeah absolutely yeah, but i can't I can't emphasize too much that phonics, particularly for children that you don't know what they're going to be interested in when they're seven, eight, nine years old. But if they're going into science, they need to know how to read scientific literature, Latin names of yeah. plants. Phonics is important. And, and you don't think right. about that when they're six. Right. But boy, this, say my roommate in college, man, she had a she had a high hurdle. Yeah, yeah. I think, Susan, you are so right. And so there are some basics that no matter what education system, what teaching style, that there are basics that children need to learn. We all definitely agree with that. Okay, we're going to go to our final break. And when we get back, we'll get to Linda and have some open lines and time. Give us a call if you have some other thoughts about the teaching methods of our children at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. Thanks for listening, everybody, and joining in. We're talking about the way we teach our children. Are we doing the right thing? Um, And why can't we seem to make changes? When we were at our break, we were talking a little bit about the fact that um, many of our schools, unfortunately, seem to be so pressured by teaching the test, teaching to the test, making sure kids pass that whatever um, test. And then they spend a lot of time when they're trying to push that. Then they're moving toward um disciplining children and so there's not the time yeah i think the one the one thing from i guess from being in the classroom that i did learn you only have a finite amount of time to um you know interact with that child um and a lot of it is geared toward the test and then depending on your setting and the way your school is structured discipline can take up a lot of your time Right. And then the rest of it is geared toward, like you say, to that test, which is a good indicator of, you know, if your child is learning or meeting those uh, type of benchmarks. But it shouldn't be the end all be all, which a lot of teachers feel the pressure of. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. And I think and so can we change? And the answer is yes, we can change. But it will take time. It will take time. (laughs) We can't expect an abrupt change. And I think you mentioned this in the beginning is that it, we need to start at the very beginning when children enter school at three or four, we really need to start in the home and remembering that interactive learning is so awesome and so great. And if you can get children to lust for learning, <laughs> then then you don't have the discipline problems. Yeah. And a, yeah. a, lot, a lot of it, like you said, it does start in the home and um, you know, you can have a, a long drawn out discussion about why some of the things aren't happening in the home. Yeah, we can. <laughs> And it's not all the parents' fault. No, not at all. Right. Okay, we're going to go to Brooke first in Oxford because Brooke is a Montessori teacher. Hi, Brooke. Hi there. How are you? Great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks so much for featuring Montessori on your show. Um, I've been teaching Montessori for 10 years um, at the elementary level, and I currently run a classroom that's actually ages 6 to 12. So, um, as you can imagine, it's a really wide scope of curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in my um, before when I taught just a nine to 12 class, all the students had come up through Montessori since they were three years old. I was at a school that was very well established. And at this school, I get a lot of students that are coming from all different backgrounds. And what I find is so amazing is that no matter the foundation that the child has, whether they've been in Montessori since the primary level at age three. Um, After, you know, given about a year, they um, are taught to be intrinsically motivated, and they learn to focus and concentrate, and um, with that, they can truly exercise their freedom of choice so that they can follow their own interests. But, you know, with that freedom, to choose what they work on and who they work on it with comes the responsibility of doing the work and collaborating and working, you know, being able to work peacefully with other students. Um, And with that, we also spend so much time on the social and emotional piece 
so that, you know, because the classroom is set up like it is, I'm given the freedom and the autonomy to, you know, stop everything if there is a conflict and really not only teach those children, you know, what they need to know as far as academics, but to really help them learn how to be empathetic and listen to each other and um, solve problems. Wow. Yeah. And it's really amazing. All of that's great. And what I loved that you just said is you can stop and focus on, on the conflict and what's going on instead of sending that child or those two kids out of the room, yeah. which is what many times in a tr- more traditional classroom happens. Right, Java? Yeah, no, that's right. That is a, a, a luxury uh-huh. <laughs> that, yeah. that Brooke has. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, Brooke, I have a question. Did you ever have any child who came into the school and it was just a terrible fit and you could not um, move them along so that they could get to the point where they were really self-motivated? You know, I have. Um, at Like I said, at my previous school that was more well-established, we didn't have that problem because we did have a whole team of specialists that could help that child Um acclimate you know because some children do have a harder time with the noise level Mm -hmm. maybe in a Montessori classroom or they their focus is just so um uh, just they just have such a hard time focusing but with the intervention we were able to help them now the school that I'm working at now is just such a small school and while we are able to accommodate you know I would say like 90 percent of the kids Right now, we don't have, you know, those um, interventionists in place to help some of the kids that are really struggling. Right. And with the multi-age classroom and with the the freedom, like the the freedom to choose just becomes a little more overwhelming. Um, Right. Especially if they're coming into the elementary program from straight from home or from a more traditional setting. Yeah. Well, Brooke, thanks so much for your call. We are out of time now. And, Linda, I know you're an avid listener. Please, I'm sorry we missed you today, but stay stay tuned next week. Java, thanks so much uh, for welcome. joining us uh, with you. I mean it. I think the kids who had you were so very lucky. We're and to lucky. Brooke's point, that whole yeah. team in a school, yeah. that's, that, that's key. The team in a school, right? Mm-hmm. So, not just study up on Montessori listeners and other methods of teaching i think the key is interactive learning that's where our kids need to be thanks to uh, michelle our producer our call screener was jay white i'm dr Susan buttress and i hope you'll join us next tuesday at 11 for relatively speaking and that you'll stay tuned for here and now coming up next on mpb think radio